Good morning. Happy New Year. First Sunday of the year. Hooray. Hopefully your Christmas decorations are down and all the stuff is put away and all the things. Did I tell you about the one gift I gave Carla? I gave her, this is an old gift, really. Um, uh, it's hard to find. A mood ring. And it works. When, when, when she's happy and, and good, it turns a nice shade of green. When she's unhappy and mad, it leaves a red mark right here on your forehead. <laughs> it's not true. I did not get her a mood ring at all. We are starting a new sermon series today, though. That is true. It's called Wonder Women. And over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of the fascinating women of the Bible and learn some great truths from God's word. And so it's only appropriate that today, on the first Sunday of the year, that we would start with the first woman of the Bible. Now, over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to look at Sarah and Hagar, and Rachel and Leah, and Esther, and Ruth and Naomi, and Elizabeth, Mary Magdalene, several women. But today, 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 we're starting with, appropriately, Eve. The story we know very, very well, the story of Adam and Eve, the horrible story of sin. Someone once said that Adam and Eve had the ideal marriage, that, that he, Adam, didn't have to hear about all the other men that Eve dated, and she didn't have to hear about how good a cook his mother was. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think we can all agree that Adam and Eve experienced the greatest, the closest, the most intimate and wonderful relationship with God here on planet Earth, not in heaven, here on planet Earth, that any other person has ever experienced. None of us have had such a communion with God Almighty. None of us really can comprehend that. They were able to meet with God, to walk and talk with God in a perfect, sinless setting. There were no barriers, no hidden agendas, nothing to distract that absolute, perfect, sweet, authentic, real community with God Almighty. We can only imagine how wonderful and, and, and awesome of an experience that would have been. To, to, to live in a place where sin has not rotted away the, 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 the situation, the, the life of society. Like what often, too often, we have to experience. Of course, we know, we know, we saw it on the video, we know what happens. We know the rest of the story in chapter 3 of Genesis. They choose to disobey God thereby ending what was that perfect community. As I was working on this sermon, I, I confessed that, that Carla could offer me the best fruit imaginable. She could offer me, you know, whatever, the most appe appealing fruit that there possibly could be. And, I, you know, I'm not a fruit guy because I would think, well, it tastes like a pear and I'm not going to eat it. And so, but if she offered bacon, now that, that there may have been some problems there. And sometimes people have asked, why did God forbid a man and woman from, from eating that lousy tree? Why, why, why did he even put it in the garden? Why have such a rule that they wouldn't have sinned, they wouldn't have fallen prey, they wouldn't have gotten into trouble? I mean, of all the sins in the world, they didn't kill anybody, they didn't, they didn't rob a bank if there were banks, they didn't do that, they, 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 they ate from a tree. Isn't that akin to, you know, stealing a cookie from grandma's cookie jar? Isn't, isn't that what's going on here? What's the big deal anyway? What we're going to discover is that God is doing something of fundamental importance for community. God is giving Adam and Eve, the man and woman, a choice. You see, true com community is never forced. 
true relationships are never forced. They must be chosen. And make sure you understand, sin always disrupts community. Sin always disrupts relationships. Anger hurts people. Pride uh, belittles people. Lust uses people. Deceit mocks people. Sin always, always destroys and damages relationships. And we can see it happen in the life of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve hear the footsteps of God in the garden at their, at their accustomed time, we're told. Always before, that sound of, of God coming through the garden filled them with joy. Always before, when they heard the footsteps of God in the garden, it, it would be akin to a small child hearing his, their, their dad or mom come home and running to the door and saying, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. But this time, when they hear those familiar footsteps... This time, their, their bodies are flooded with feelings they'd never before experienced. This time, what up until this point brought them eagerness and joy and anticipation and delight, now brings them terror and shame. This time, they run not toward the footsteps, but away. For they know shame, and they know fear, and worry, and all those other emotions that come from a sinful choice. This time, they hide. Adam and Eve were the first, but certainly not the last, to have tried to hide and run from God, who have sought somehow that if they didn't look at God, that God wouldn't see them. Like a toddler playing peekaboo, if they just put their hands over their face and squeeze their eyes really, really tight, and if they couldn't see, see him, then, then, then maybe God couldn't see them. Well, it doesn't work that way when toddlers are playing peekaboo, and it doesn't work that way for Adam and Eve. And so God, God asked them a question, a very strange question, really. God says, where are you, Adam? Eve, where are you? Why does God Almighty ask that question? I mean, he's the God of the universe. David in the Psalms observes that no matter where we go, no matter where we're at, no matter how far we've, we've run away, we cannot escape the knowledge of God. In Psalm 139, it says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. In other words, our legs are too short to run from God. And so, so, so here they are, almighty, asking where are they? As if, it would almost be funny if it weren't so sad that they were, were trying to hide from God. It's like trying to hide in a phone booth. Where are you gonna hide? There's no place to hide. They're in the garden. They haven't even left the garden. And yet here in, in Genesis 3, the omnipotent creator of the universe is asking for the location of two of his created beings. And they haven't even left the garden. I sometimes lose my keys. But I think even I could have found Adam and Eve. Uh, they're still in the garden. I sometimes, I'm not always the most observant. Carla will tell you, I'm not always the most observant. She'll tell me to go get ketchup. I say, where's the ketchup? It's in the refrigerator. Where in the refrigerator? It's on the second shelf. All right, I don't see the ketchup. It's not, I don't see the ketchup. The ketchup's not here. And she'll come over to the refrigerator and it's on the second shelf. That happens all the time at our house. But I think I could have found, and they're in the garden. And, and, and God Almighty goes in, where are you? You know, he can use whatever, you know, uh, 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 uh divine thing that he uses to locate people. 
But you know, you know the truth of this. God wasn't asking the, for their location. This wasn't like the U.S. Navy SEALs searching for Osama bin Laden, you know, in the cracks and the crevices of Pakistan. This is God Almighty. He knows exactly where they are. And, and he asked them, he, he, he asked them where they are when they're hiding, quote unquote, hiding, because God is giving them an opportunity to come forward. You see what's happening here, don't you? God's amazing grace, his tremendous love, doesn't treat Adam and Eve as they deserve. You ate from the tree, I told you not to eat from the tree, you know, kaboom. That's what they deserved, but he doesn't treat them, he treats them as his children, his created ones, ones that he loves, ones that he desires a relationship with in spite, that's the big lesson of today, in spite of their sin. You see, God understands very clearly that, that no one can get another person to be in a relationship by force. It doesn't work that way. And God wants to be in a relationship with you and I. But he gives us the freedom to make that choice. He doesn't force himself on you. He doesn't make you serve him. No, it's your choice. You can go through your life hiding, running the opposite direction. It's your choice. Your, your, your parents, your wife, your husband, your your, your, your friends, whomever, none of them can force you to make a choice. It's up to you whether you're going to follow God, whether you're going to have him a part of your life or not. I have a relative who has done everything she possibly can to run away from God. And she's made poor choice after poor choice after horrible choice after horrible choice over and over and over again. And, and you, you think... It doesn't have to be this way. You know right from wrong. You, you know that you could have a far different, better life. Why don't you choose God? And up until this point, she still hasn't done that. So, like here, God calls out, Adam, Eve, where are you? Now again, usually when we think of that question, we think of it as Location. If I were to call you up on your cell phone and say, where are you? You would say, well, I'm at home or I'm in the car. I'm at the mall. Location. That's, that's generally the way that question is taken. But, but it can also mean, where are you spiritually? I don't care about your location. Where are you spiritually? Where are you in the things that matter most in life? Where are you in your walk with the Lord? Where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Where are you? Notice in, in Genesis, when God asked that question to, to Adam, he doesn't give a location. In Genesis 3.10, he, he says, I heard you, I was afraid, and I hid. It's the first mention of fear in the Bible right there. Up until this point, there's no, no reason to, to fear. There's no need to hide. There's no shame. There was fellowship and joy and peace. Sin messes everything up. Remember, I told you a few weeks ago when we were in Joseph in the Christmas story, how, how the angel came to him and said, do not fear. And I told you how in the Bible over and over again, over 80 times, God comes to us and says, says that same thing, don't fray, don't, do not fear. But here, Genesis 3, first time in the Bible, I was afraid, so I hid. Can I ask you the same question that God asked Adam and Eve? On this first Sunday of the year, where are you? Again, I don't want you to answer, you know, I'm on the third row from the back, right-hand side. I'm up in the balcony. I'm, I'm, I'm at home watching the live stream. That's, that's not the question. Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you in your walk with the Lord? 
Where are you in the most important relationships of your life? This week, it hit home to me once again. On Thursday, I went to the funeral of Gary Burton's dad. He is 92-year-old, served the Lord, ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene, pastored several churches. He and I both pastored the Bad Axe Church. Uh, A wonderful servant of the Lord. He's 92 years old, lived a good long life. Yesterday, I officiated the funeral of Eugene Lang. Eugene Lang, also 92 years old, wonderful man of God, lived a wonderful life. And then we received the word yesterday that one of our own, one of the the shining stars of of Central Church, Brenda Forsey, in her 50s, had passed away. You know, and and it reminds us that there's no guarantees in this old life. Maybe you'll live to be 92. Maybe you'll you'll live to to, to see your kids and your grandkids and, and have a wonderful life. But there's no guarantees in this old world. And so that question, where are you? Not location. Where are you in your relationship with the Lord? Where are you in in, in the most important relationships of life? That's important. And how you answer that question not only affects your relationship with God Almighty, but it also affects your your vertical relationships that that you have as well. Notice, Notice after Adam answers and admits that he's hiding, God says in verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? Again, that's a crazy answer. God Almighty to ask. He knows the answer. Why is he asking this question to to Adam? He's God Almighty. He knows what went down. He knows why they're responding the way they're responding. Again, God is giving Adam and Eve an opportunity to confess, to accept responsibility, to restore the relationship. God does the same thing with you and me. He wants us to restore the relationship that's the point of Jesus' story of the prodigal son, how Jesus tells how the son went off a far country, you know, squandered all of his inheritance. And when he was a long way off, the Bible says, he was coming home, he came to his senses, he started home, and the father, the father was waiting, hoping, waiting, praying, waiting, watching. And finally the son came home, and, and you get that wonderful picture of the, of the son coming home and the dad running up to him and wrapping his arms around him and said, you know, the party, begin the party, my lost son has come home. And that's the point that that God is having way back here with Adam and Eve. He's wanting to restore that relationship that was been broken. So Adam reflects on the importance of taking personal responsibility for his actions, summons all the courage that he can muster, and he says, it's the woman's fault. Worse than that, he says, it's the woman that you put in the garden's fault. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, God, as long as it was just me and the zebras and the gerbils in here, we were getting along just fine. But when you stuck the woman in here, when, 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 when she came, that's when it all fell apart. And with that, blaming, passing the buck, pushing off personal responsibilities enters into human experience. Adam, Adam didn't really come out of the behind the rock and stop his hiding. I contend that he was still hiding. Lord, it's not my fault. It's Eve's fault. It's your fault. You put her here. It's not my fault. It can't be my fault. Again, Adam and Eve aren't the first couple, were the first couple, but they aren't the last couple to blame each other for their circumstances or their troubles in a relationship. Notice the progression of events. They're perfectly in God's will. They're in the garden of Eden of all places. You can't get better than that. They receive a tempting offer. Again, the temptation is not the sin. Jesus was tempted and did not sin. 
They chose to disobey. They clearly knew what God had said. They clearly knew right from wrong. They clearly knew what the parameters were of God's expectation. They chose to disobey. And then came the estrangement, the hiding from God, the running away. It always happens. That always happens with sin. And finally then, it affected those vertical relationships and the conflict at home and the blaming and the hiding and the confusion and all the rest. I see it all the time. Sinful choices affect our relationship with God. Of course they do. It makes sense that they they would. God doesn't want us to sin. God doesn't wink at sin. God has nothing to do with sin. And so when we choose a sinful path, it affects our relationship, our horizontal relationship with God. But it doesn't just affect that relationship. It affects our vertical relationships with everyone else. It affects how we respond to, to them. It affects how, we, how we, we think about our wife or our husband, our kids, our grandkids, our, our parents, whatever it may be, our coworkers. It affects every relationship we have. Sin contaminates every aspect of our being. It hinders authentic, lasting commitments. Rather than relationship, sin leads to loneliness. Rather than intimacy, sin leads to alienation. Rather than openness, sin leads to hiding and shame. Sin ruins everything. This biblical model is seen, this is the first place it's seen, it's seen over and over again, the negative effects that sinfulness has on everything about us. And Adam and Eve were never the same. We all know they were kicked out of the garden and life changed and Adam and Eve became the first but far from the last to experience the destruction of sin. So let me put this as straightforward as I possibly, possibly can. There are some folks in this room right here, right now. And you've opened the door to sinfulness in your home. Whether it's sinful behaviors or sinful habits or sinful attitudes. And maybe you don't like it that way, but it's under your roof. That's what's going on even now. And in the most loving way I can possibly tell you, sin destroys homes. Sin destroys lives. Sin destroys relationships. And not just in the life of the sinner, if I can put it in those terms. It affects the innocent bystanders. It affects the ones that are just kind of on the edges. I I tell our students from time to time, they want to put their parents through the ringer, just make some sinful choices. That relative I spoke of earlier, she has made sinful choice after sinful choice after sinful choice, and her parents have gone through the ringer. With every phone call that they receive, they think, is this the one that's telling us that our daughter's never coming home? They were, in many ways, the innocent bystanders, but they're affected. Sin has ripple effects. It affects far more than the one who's making those stupid, terrible, horrible choices. It ruins everything. Well, that's all the bad news. That's all the preamble to the sermon I really want to get to. Because that's, that's not the end of the story. Uh, here's, here's, the, here's the lesson I want us to get from Eve. Your worst sin, and we've all sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your worst sin need not define you. What's going on in your home right now, in your heart right now, in your story right now, it need not be the end of the story. It's part of the story. It's certainly a part of the story, but it doesn't have to be the end of the story. See, whenever you hear sermons on Eve, the the sermons that I've preached on Adam and Eve in the past, 
Usually, usually, usually they end like that video ended. They end with the sin. They end with them kicked out of the garden. They end with, you know, Eve, you're the, you're the reason that women have pain in childbirth. Eve, you're the, you have this big, dark, black, horrible sin. Eve, you're the mother of all sinners. That's how it usually ends. But that's, that's really, that's the middle of her story. That's, that's not the end. That's not the end. I see it, I see it in, in chapter 3 toward the end in verses 20 and 21. The Bible tells us this, after the sin, after chomping on the fruit and God confronting them and all the rest, the Bible says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Isn't that remarkable when you think about that? Here, this is after the sin, after, you know, chomp, 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 fruit, here you go, Adam, you try it, blah, blah, blah. Everything comes crashing down. After all of that, God Almighty doesn't throw his hands up in the air and say, you terrible, dark, awful sinners. He doesn't send lightning bolts. He doesn't, he do- God Almighty takes to the simple task. He doesn't even call an angel to do it for him. God Almighty makes clothes out of animal skins. Talk about designer designer clothes from the designer of the world for Adam and Eve. He didn't write them off. He didn't throw up his arms. He didn't say, I'm through with you. In fact, it's just the opposite. He made clothes for them. He cared about such small details in in their lives. It's amazing, really. And then you get to the end of chapter four. At the end of chapter four, it it, it goes on. Chapter four begins to tell the story of Adam and Eve's first two sons, Cain and Abel. And you remember that story, Cain kills Abel. And it's a horrible, horrible story. And at the end of chapter four, it tells us that Adam and Eve have a third son. They name him Seth. And this is what the Bible says in verse 426. It says, Seth also had a son. So Adam and Eve had a grandbaby. And, I don't know where Enosh is. They named him Enosh. Which, by the way, Enosh means man. And so technically, you can tell Enosh, you know, he's the man. And you would be right, because that's what it means. But then it goes on to say this. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So here's my point. It's really a simple question. How did they know to call on the name of the Lord? If at that time, there was only a handful of people on the, on the planet, how did they come to know to call on the name of the Lord? They came to know the to call on the name of the Lord had to be from Adam and Eve, right? I mean, who else is going to teach him? So the ones who had been banished from the garden, the ones who, who were kicked out, the ones who, who, who blew it, who, who disobeyed, who gone astray, all the other terms that you want to use, that same one who, who God came and made clothes for, cared for, still loved, is teaching them then how to call on the name of the Lord. We serve such a gracious God. He, he wants to forgive He wants to move forward. He wants to be in a relationship with you. People get this crazy notion that they've committed some kind of terrible sin, that God is so mad at them that that he will never forgive them or they could never make things right or any of that. That's just nonsense. God is crazy about you. And your worst mistake, your greatest sin, does not have to be the defining moment of your life. If you are living and breathing, there's still hope for you. I love the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Listen, Eve is, well, she's no different from you and me. She's the first, not the last. We've all sinned. We've all grabbed the forbidden fruit. We've all, we've all wanted our own way. We've all become selfish and self-centered. But, and here's the big deal, just like Eve, that doesn't have to be the end of our story. We can call on the Lord again. We can call out to him. And he will, in his loving kindness, in his grace, in his grand kingdom plan, he can come back and will come back to us. You know, in the old days, they used to refer to a year at the turn of the, they would say, and you've probably heard this term, maybe in history books or whatever, they'd say the year of our Lord, 1492, whatever it was. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in the year of our Lord, 1492. I wish we could make 2019 the year of our Lord. That, that this would be the year that we would really serve God. Now, there's nothing, I know there's nothing magical in flipping the calendar from December 31st. I get that. Some of you are resolution people and you make resolutions. Some of you think those are the dumbest things ever. I get that. I, I, I'm not talking about that. But I think always, it's, it's just the first part of the year. It's always good to kind of recalibrate and, and reorganize our life a little bit and to evaluate where we're at spiritually and relationally and, and physically and emotionally, and intellectually, all those things. And come to, to a conclusion that if there's some changes I need to make, then I need to make them. If there's some things I need to stop doing, I need to stop doing them. If there's things I need to start doing, I need to start doing them. It's recalibrating, reevaluating our life. You see, it's, it, to not do that is just to maintain the status quo. And, and when you just maintain the status quo, if I keep on doing what I've always done, then I'll always get what I've always gotten. That's not really always great. And so, so where are you headed? Back to that question that God asked Adam and Eve where are you are there fences that need to be mended then mend them are there are there words of forgiveness that need to be offered then give them does your marriage need some work then work on it do you need to make a phone call or write a letter or or take time to make a difference then then do it do you need to establish a a relationship with God once more a connection with God Now, don't leave here this morning and say, yeah, I need to do that. I probably should. Make a plan. When am I? Where am I? How am I? What am I going to do? What are my next steps going to be? See, if this is truly going to be 2019, the year of our Lord, then it will take us humbly looking at our lives, looking at areas where we need to improve, looking at things where we have fallen short, Say, this is not the end of my story. I'm in the middle of my story. Maybe I'm at the beginning of the story, or maybe I'm closer to the end of the story, but I'm still in the story. And I can make the necessary changes with God's help that I need to make. Your worst sin does not have to define you. That's the point of this. Your worst moment doesn't have to be your defining moment. God is a God of second, third, hundredth, thousandth, millionth chances. And he is ready, wanting to establish a relationship with you. Lord, how we pray that this would be the year of our Lord, where you would be Lord over all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.